Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. We get information from various sources. Ultimately, this information guides how we think and live. With that in mind, get ready for a rich sermon from First Pres Associate Pastor Tim Shaw. A sermon called, Who Will You Trust? God, we are so thankful for this opportunity to be in your presence and to praise you and to have you inhabit the praise of your people, that you come to be among us and with us and fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. We are in awe of your willingness to be with us, to give us your life, to forgive us and renew us and strengthen us. So God, we pray that you would be glorified in what we continue to do and all that we say here uh, during the rest of this service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm Tim Shaw, one of the pastors here on staff. And before I uh, share some thoughts with you about Psalm 146, I just wanted to say a really heartfelt thank you to all of you in our church. Uh, I've been on staff for eight and a half years and uh, I am beginning a sabbatical at the end of this service for two months. So I'm just so grateful for your generosity to us uh, on staff to give us these times of refreshment and renewal and uh, just pulling back. And um, I'm looking forward to drawing close to God in, uh, in, in just some uh, just seeking him in a very concerted way as well as connecting with people that are very uh, important to me. Uh, so thank you. Thank you so much for the gift of this time away. We really, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, last week in Shevis, Shevis is really outstanding message. It was really great. He quoted one of my favorite uh, pastors, and you're going to hear a lot from this guy in this sermon, to a guy by the name of Tim Keller. Now, if you don't know who Tim Keller is, I'd encourage you to pray for Tim. He's struggling with pancreatic cancer. Um, there's some hopeful signs that he was mentioning even today I saw. Um, he was the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City for a very long time, and I was really struck by the quote that, that Chivas read in that. I was just gr- gripped by it. And I wanted to think about it more, and I wanted to read it to you again. Uh, The reason why I think this is so important is because Keller's really pointing about why it's so important that we are people who are engaged with faithful, regular reading of Scripture and the impact that that can have in our lives. So as Chevis was preaching from the New Testament book of James last week, here's the Keller quote that he read. James says what it means to become a Christian is the word of truth has been planted in you. That is, when you put your faith in Christ, the word of God gets planted in our lives. And when you get near the word of God, meaning the Bible, this is no longer just a book of instructions. This is food. This is air. This is water. This is life. This is a thing you've been made of somehow. The word of God, which was implanted in you at first, which created you, now is the agency to grow you, to increase that life it began within you. If you come to it persistently, if you come to it properly, it will result eventually 
in your total and complete freedom. That is quite a statement. So let's come to the scriptures today to do that together. Let's be open to what God might want to say to each one of us from his word. And by the grace of God, I will be coming to it properly. And um, you're always free to check me on that, whether I came to it properly or not. Um, We pray that uh, I will be handling it well. So if you're able and you're here at Ko'olau, I encourage you to please stand as I read from God's word today. Psalm 146 verses 1 to 10 is the lectionary text for today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose hope is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind and the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I think it's, I'm just going to walk us through this amazing psalm. And I think right at the start, the writer uh, points out something that's really important in the opening verses. You see, sometimes you and I need to have a little chat with ourselves, and the psalmist knows that. We need to speak directly to ourselves and encourage our souls to do something that can be incredibly life-giving. We also need to have little conversations with ourselves sometimes to discourage us and to avoid things that can really sap the life right out of us. But he's going to encourage us up front to do something that's going to be life-giving to us. I don't know about you, but grumbling and complaining is a language I speak with great fluency. I think it might be my first language. I am a native speaker of complaint, and I need no encouragement to give it voice. On the other hand, what the psalmist is talking about is this language of praise. That is a language I'm still learning. It's a language God wants me to learn because he is worthy of our praise. He's so worthy. And he inhabits the praise of his people. And he also knows that when we practice this language of praise, our lives are made immeasurably better. So when life is hard, when things are not as I wish that they might be, it's easy for me to sometimes fall into angry complaints. And because that can be the case, the psalmist encourages us to have a talk with our souls. He says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. He encourages us to practice the language of praise. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Come on, Tim. Give praise to God. He deserves your praise. 
and your perspective on your life is going to be transformed when you practice the language of praise. But notice he's not just encouraging us to just to be praising anything. That can be a really good thing to be affirming to other people and things that you experience. This is a particular invitation to practice the praise of our good, loving, compassionate, and holy God. I need to encourage my soul to give praise to God. But I can have a tough time doing that on my own. Fortunately, I don't need to do this on my own. We can help one another practice this language of praise. Every week we can roll in this language course. Every week we have an opportunity to join other language learners and practice the vocabulary of praise. That's what we're doing right now. We're learning how to praise God. It's so important that we can, when we get together and praise God in corporate worship on a regular basis, whether that is online or uh, here in person. You know, worship service, what you're in right now, is supposed to be more than just listening to some guy talk for 20 or 30 minutes. It's partly what a worship service is about, but it also is to include an opportunity for us to practice the vocabulary of praise by singing together, by praying together, confessing together, and giving our tithes and offerings and gifts together. And as I add my voice to the voices of others, we're all learning to speak the language of praise with greater confidence, and our own vocabulary of praise grows. Over the years, I have tried to learn at least a few phrases in probably nine to ten different languages other than English. I've picked up a few words and phrases as I've traveled around the world. I've taken months-long courses in some of those languages. I have taken years-long courses in some of the other ones. But I would not describe myself as fluent in any of them. And why is that? Because I have not consistently practiced them. Because I haven't used these languages on a regular basis. They have not become a part of who I am. And the major flaw in my language learning strategy is that I've not sought out the opportunity to develop conversation partners so I could practice the new language with others. Learning how to praise God is a lot like other skills that we want to pick up in our lives. We have to practice. If you want to be able to throw people out consistently at first base, you're going to have to have people hit you grounders uh, over and over and over again if you're playing second base. When it comes to learning the language of praise, we are going to need to practice praising God until it becomes a more integrated part of who we are. So let's continue to practice. Uh, let's continue to gather and learn this language together. So I'm really glad that you joined me for this language learning class today. But the question that the psalmist uh, has in mind here in Psalm 146 is a pretty basic life question. He's got a very core question that he wants us to think about. It's a very important question that every human being is asking, has asked, or will ask. This question lives at the core of who we are, and we really, 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 really need an answer to this question. Particularly as you just think about the ongoing challenges of our world, of our state, um, of our communities, of our families. Um, this is a really important question that he's going to help us grapple with. Who or what will be our ultimate source of hope? We are in need of hope. We are in need of 
a lot of hope. Who can we trust with our lives, with our problems, with our anxieties, with our futures? Well, the psalmist has a response, and I can't imagine a more important exhortation for all of us to hear than the one he makes in verses 3 to 5. Before I get there, I just want to just do a little disclaimer here at the beginning. What he's about to say is not a call to reject good, wise, and just human leadership. We need good, capable, wise leaders who can be trusted. And there are many knowledgeable leaders in our community, nation, and world who know what they're talking about, have developed the necessary skills to do their jobs well, and are worthy of our trust. What the psalmist does in Psalm 146 is offer us a foundation that will help us discern who we should trust. He writes in verse 3, Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground, and that very day their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. So in what or in whom are we placing our ultimate trust? Who have we decided is worthy of our complete allegiance? Who can bear the full weight of our lives? I think there is only one who is worthy of our full trust. And that, is the, that one person is our absolutely trustworthy God. He alone is the only sure foundation. He alone is a solid rock upon which we can safely build our lives. It is only by sinking the foundation pillars undergirding our lives deep down into the bedrock of Jesus Christ that we will be able to weather the storms of our lives that are certainly going to come. The more that we get to know our God, the more that we will be also be able to recognize trustworthy human leadership. And the more that we grow in our knowledge of God, the more that we will be people of influence who are worthy of the trust of others. In verse 6, the psalmist reminds us of who our God is. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Not about you, but I, am I the only nerdy person that I'm about to describe here? Um, when was the last time you let your mind wander to consider the vastness of the universe? The other day, I was reading about NASA's New Horizons mission to Pluto. You know, that sort of sad, formerly former planet that's got an identity crisis now. Uh, you know, that poor rock. Not long ago, Pluto was demoted from its status as a planet and is now considered by many a dwarf planet. Our solar system went, when having, went from having nine planets to having just eight. In 2015, at the speed of 30,000 miles an hour, the New Horizons spacecraft flew by Pluto and its moon, capturing incredible images of this mysterious rock orbiting the sun. There's a good picture of it. It took that spacecraft nine and a half years to make it from the Earth to Pluto. Nine and a half years. Pluto is three billion miles from Earth. It takes 248 years for Pluto to orbit the sun one time. Now let's think about this for a second. If Pluto is three billion miles from the Earth, 
And if it took NASA more than nine years to get the New Horizons spacecraft to Pluto, what does that tell you about the size of our solar system? It tells you that it's really big. <laughs> Huge. But when you realize that our solar system is just a tiny part of our galaxy, get ready to have your head explode. See out there on the Sagittarius arm of the Milky Way, among billions of other suns, that's where we are right now. But the Milky Way galaxy is just one galaxy in a local group of galaxies in our neighborhood. Traveling at the speed of light, it would take 2.3 million years to reach the Andromeda galaxy, which is the nearest galaxy that is like our own. And that local group of galaxies is only a tiny part of the universe. If I could look inside some of your heads right now, I would see some neurons overheating, probably. So listen again to what the psalmist says in verse 6. The psalmist is reminding us who our God is. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Now, by doing all of that, I'm not trying to make you feel small. I'm just reminding you that you are small. <laughs> but just because you're small, I want you to know that you are incredibly important to the one who created all of that. So who is worthy of our praise? In whom should we put our ultimate trust? We are invited to praise this God who created the universe. And we are called to entrust our lives to this God of unmeasurable power who chose to become a human being on this tiny little planet to make a way for you to be in a relationship with him forever, to live forever. That is the God we are to praise. That is the God in whom we are to put our trust. So what does this God care about? And how should it impact what I care about? Tim Keller once quipped that um, most people want Jesus as a consultant, but not as a king. I think he's right about that. I know that can be true in my own life. We're happy to seek God's input into our life decisions, but we're not too sure about Jesus actually shaping, fundamentally, those decisions. But you know what? Jesus is not interested in simply being one of our many consultants. He's not content to be just one of the many authoritative voices in our lives. He wants to be the one voice that will help us sort out which other voices we should listen to. That's why we need to be persistent readers of the scriptures and to do that in community with others. And we need to learn how to properly approach the scriptures. So the author of Psalm 146 wants to remind us of who our God is. In this Psalm, he's going to once again tell us about the character of our God. Here is the heart of the God who created the universe and created you and me. 
verses 7 to 10. This God upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. The God we meet in Jesus Christ has a lot of really beautiful qualities. And one of the qualities, one of the attributes of our God that lives at the heart of his character is that he is a God of justice. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be a God of justice? In a moment, I'm going to explain to you the meaning of the Hebrew word mishpat, which is often translated in the Old Testament with the word justice. And it appears here in verse 7 of Psalm 146. And in this translation, the word mishpat is translated to uphold the cause of the oppressed. Because our God is indeed a God of justice, those of us who are seeking to follow this God must also be people who are concerned about justice. One of the most familiar passages of the scripture in the Old Testament uh, on the subject of justice is Micah 6.8. This short verse of scripture is a summary of what it looks like to be a follower of God. In Micah 6.8, we are told to do justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And that journey of justice, being a person who can live uh, in response to God, our God of justice, is about being a person of mercy. That's where the journey begins in our lives. It's from the inward motivation of mercy that a life of justice grows. To have a heart of compassion. To be a merciful person is the inner motivation for doing justice. And as we come to the Lord's table today, we're going to be reminded of this the good news of the gospel, that we have a God of mercy. And fortunately, that we do, because we are in need of his mercy. And because God is merciful to us, we can learn to be more compassionate and merciful people as we accept and receive God's mercy into our own lives. Okay, let's talk about mishpat, the Hebrew word for justice. It shows up in the Old Testament over 400 times. That's a lot of times for a word to show up in the scriptures. It shows up this frequently because it's central to who our God is. Our God is a God of justice. But what does it mean to do justice? At the core of what it means to do justice is to give people what they are due. Now, there are two ways to give people what they are due. These two aspects of justice are important and are reflected in the Bible's understanding of justice. When people do something wrong, mishpat refers to the consequences people are due for doing what is wrong. But mishpat also means that when it comes to the poor and oppressed, we are to do everything we can to make sure that they have what they are due as human beings made in the image of God. We we see both aspects of God's justice in verse 9, Psalm 146. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Throughout the Bible, there seem to be four groups of vulnerable people for whom God has special care. And because he cares for them, we are called to care for them as well. 
These four groups are the widow, the orphan, the alien or immigrant, and the poor. In other places in the Old Testament where the word mishpat appears, these groups are often mentioned. These are some of the most at-risk people in our world. They are vulnerable to being exploited because uh, they are often powerless in the situations they're in. To be people who are called by our God of justice, to do justice, we are to offer care for the vulnerable. So what does it look like to do justice for the vulnerable? We are to feed the hungry. We are to see to the release of those who are unjustly imprisoned or enslaved. We are to care for the sick and come alongside people who are burdened, whether that's emotionally or psychologically or physically. We are to keep the immigrant from being exploited or hurt. We are to show special care to the single parent family, the widow and the orphan. So how well are we doing as a church caring for these vulnerable people? With many of the most vulnerable in the world, we are actively engaged. And that is a wonderful reflection of your heart for what God cares about. So let's continue to go deeper and further and be people who reflect even more God's heart for justice. Again and again in the scriptures, we hear about God's special care for the vulnerable. We also hear that God is committed to thwarting the actions of those, those who exploit them. Uh, those are the two main aspects of God's justice. I was struck by a comment that I heard Keller make a number of times. I've heard him say this a number of times over the years. I heard him make it again when he was discussing the meaning of the word justice in the Bible. I think many followers of Jesus are already very tuned in to the danger he raises and are carefully evaluating what they hear on the news or on talk radio or on social media and they're evaluating that based on what they understand the scriptures to be saying. Keller has often said that the scripture is not from the right, and it's not from the left. It's from a different place. It's from above, and will challenge all of our conservative and liberal political categories and everything in between. You know, some of us, maybe all of us, need to come to terms and really ask ourselves, are we being discipled primarily by Jesus or by political commentators on the political left or the political right? And we need to be really honest about this because if we are being primarily discipled by people on the political left, commentators and commentators on the right, the world is probably not receiving the wisdom of the scriptures consistently from us. If we persistently and properly listen to what God says in scriptures, what he says will challenge our political convictions, whether our convictions are more on the right or more on the left. I know that has been my experience. If we uncritically incorporate unexamined political convictions into our theology, in other words, if our political convictions are driving our interpretation of scripture, then we are in danger of draining the gospel of Jesus Christ of its power to transform us and the world. The world needs a community of people who are willing to provide gospel-shaped leadership and influence in our world. The world is in desperate need of people who are, being, are willing to be committed to be makers of peace, makers of shalom, in the world. 
In the midst of all the anger and distrust in our world, can we be people who seek to bring others together? Can we be a people who listen carefully to one another and seek God's best together? As Pastor Siva said many, many times, the work of making peace begins with our willingness to really listen to one another and seek to understand each other, especially when we disagree. And most importantly, the work of shalom making ultimately grows out of our commitment to listen carefully to God as he speaks to us in and through his word. And our listening, as Sheva said last Sunday, requires that we not simply hear God's word and discuss it. We are called to hear it, understand it, receive it into our lives and say yes to it. Well, in closing, I want to tell you a story about a friend who I think understands that we serve a God of justice. Um, this friend, along with many, many others, is discovering who our God truly is. He has learned that our God can be trusted, and because he believes God can be trusted, he has made a number of really gutsy, courageous steps in his own uh, discipleship. He would be the first person to say that he has a lot to learn and a great deal of growing to do. Nevertheless, I want to show you some of the steps he's been taking to grow as a disciple of Jesus. Two weeks ago, uh, our good friend, friend of our church, Dr. Andy Oishi, received an invitation from Samaritan's Purse, which is an international NGO that is ready to respond to situations all around the world where natural disasters have devastated communities. Andy and his wife, Lori Tam Oishi, have led many medical mission trips for our church in the past. Two weeks ago, Andy was invited to join a medical team in Haiti in the aftermath of the recent earthquake. He received that invitation on a Tuesday and was on a plane to Haiti on Wednesday. And with Andy's permission, let me read a little bit of his first blog entry. Four days ago, a devastating 7.2 magnitude earthquake hit the country of Haiti, causing devastation and death. Interestingly, I immediately felt this burden to go and help. I told myself, if I had the opportunity to help, I would take it. Of course, it was easy to say that to myself because I didn't really have an opportunity at the time to go to Haiti. Then three days ago, I received a team-wide text from Samaritan's Purse inquiring if anyone was available to work at an emergency field hospital they were setting up near the epicenter of the devastation. And although I felt a desire to go to Haiti, I was going to reply that I wasn't available because I was just too busy. But God, who is faithful when he calls, sometimes gives you a second chance to say yes. So two days ago, on the same day that Tropical Storm Grace further battered Haiti, Someone from Samaritan's Purse actually called me on my cell phone asking if I was available to go. Now, literally 48 hours later, I am on my way to Haiti. Even Andy quotes Tim Keller. Pastor Tim Keller says that a calling from God will involve the intersection of three things. Your abilities, your affinity, or what are you passionate about, what do you care about, and your opportunities. Those things may not all be present at the same time, but when they come together in your life, it just might be God's calling for you. What Pastor Keller didn't say was that sometimes God has to disrupt your life in order to make that happen. How could I say no? He closes his blog entry. 
That's what doing justice looks like. Doing justice when someone says, is when someone says yes to the opportunity to show the world who the God of justice is. When we are captured by the heart of God, when we obey his call on our lives to be makers of shalom, to not just be peacekeepers, as important as that is, but to be people who can bring God's peace, God's shalom, God's healing, God's hope to the vulnerable, that is what it looks like to do justice. Our God of justice and love, our God of compassion and mercy is making Andy into a person who is ready to do what he can to ensure that the vulnerable would receive what they are due, a chance at healing, a chance at hope, a chance for a future. And as we think about the opportunities in front of each one of us to be people who do justice, God may not be calling you to Haiti, or maybe he will, but at a minimum, in the highly charged, conflicted environment in which we are living, can we, at a minimum, recommit ourselves to being people of peace, people who seek to bring people together and not spreaders of division and disunity? Is Jesus just one of our many life consultants? Or is he our Lord and King? I am so thankful that he is a God of grace who forgives me for all the ways that I failed to live a life of justice, to live a life of peace. I'm so thankful that he has not given up on me and never will. He will continue to shape my heart, my priorities, my character, if I let him. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we are so grateful. And it is simply mind-boggling to consider the, the size of the universe and that you hold that universe in the palm of your hand. And yet you loved us so much that you are willing to take on human flesh, become a man in Jesus Christ, and then to take upon yourself the sins of the world and to die in our place that we might have life. That is just staggering. Lord, I pray that as we come to your table in just a few moments that your mercy would wash over us, that you would make us more merciful and compassionate people, and that would mercy and compassion would be evidenced in our lives. And maybe there's someone here today or listening online that has never committed their life to this amazing God that we meet in Jesus Christ. Well, I want to give you an opportunity to do that and just to say yes to his offer of forgiveness and love. So you can pray along with me. Thank you, God, for being a God of mercy and compassion and grace. Forgive me for the ways that I have been consumed by my own agendas, my own needs, my own priorities. Forgive me for the ways that I've hurt other people and hurt myself. Thank you for being a God of forgiveness, a God who, of grace. So I receive your love and everlasting life into my life.
into my life as I entrust myself to Jesus. And Lord, thank you for giving us the gift of your Holy Spirit. Fill me up, fill us up with your Spirit that we might live for you. It's the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. So now receive this blessing. Now to God who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceedingly great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and honor, both now and forevermore. And God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us. Hope you have a fantastic week and we'll see you next Sunday. Why wouldn't we want to put our complete trust in the God who created this vast universe? The same God created us, loves us, nurtures and guides us. He is a God of love, justice, and peace. If you'd like to catch up on or re-listen to previous services, you can find past sermons on our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Press sermons on most major podcast services and now on YouTube. In-person worship continues, but in limited capacity. There are two live services at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. every Sunday morning at our Ko'olau campus. If you'd like to participate, we ask that you sign up through the website on a weekly basis, and both services will be streamed live on the church websites. Once again, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. Continue to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, registration for our in-person worship, and lots more. And as always, if there's anything First Prez can do for you, you can always reach the church through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2021 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.